Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast. The only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 129, we discuss how VAR is changing the way we enjoy soccer games, which legendary soccer presenter is retiring, what the Women's World Cup TV ratings are looking like so far. Uh, we've got some uh, thoughts on the Gold Cup, plus, uh, of course, letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnair. Now, Kartik, we're knee-deep into these tournaments. Uh, today, we're recording this podcast on Thursday morning. We got uh, we had a break yesterday. Uh, we had some Gold Cup games yesterday, but uh, kind of that lull before the, the storm in terms of uh, the next rounds of the tournaments in terms of Copa America, Women's World Cup, and, and of course the Gold Cup, as well as uh, Africa uh, Cup of Nations, which is, which is going strong too. So much soccer to choose from. I know from following you on Twitter that you've been most watching mostly the Women's World Cup, but let's start with the Gold Cup. Just for a second, Kartik. And, and okay. I, I haven't watched a lot of it. I, I've watched uh, bits and pieces. Um, I saw a little bit of uh, the, the uh, USA-Guyana uh, game, uh, a little bit of, uh, I think, uh, I think Jamaica, a couple of the Jamaican games, uh, as well as, of course, USA against TNT, like a really impressive performance. And then we had the USA game last night. Uh, against Panama, which was uh, a B team. Uh, it was really, I mean, 11 changes. And now we, we're, we're looking ahead at the schedule for the Gold Cup, and we see that uh, the next game up is, uh, they're already in the quarterfinal stages. Next game up is against Curaçao, uh, who looked pretty good against uh, Jamaica, but should be a, a pretty easy victory for the United States there. The thing I, I don't get, Kartik, and, and maybe you can shine some light on this, or maybe you have some, some thoughts on this, is the way that the schedule is set up is that uh, if the USA beats uh, Curaçao uh, this weekend, they will play in the, the semifinal the winner of Jamaica against Panama from the, the kind of the, uh, the, the groups that they're, uh, I mean, that, that they already have some, well, Panama was in their group already, so they could possibly face Panama in a semifinal. Why, why is the, the draw structured this way? Why wouldn't you have it kind of flipped where you could have some of the, uh, the teams they could be facing in the semifinals, some of the teams from the other side of the bracket? 
Um, first off, I haven't watched a minute of the Gold Cup. I'm, you're informing me who's advanced. I know the I know the U.S. results. I don't know anything else. I've not paid any attention to the tournament. However, this has happened before. Uh, the U.S. was in Panama's group in 2011. Um, I, I was at uh, I was covering the tournament closely that year, and I was actually at the U.S. Panama game, which Panama won in the group stage. They then played in the semifinals. Similarly, the reason is they keep Mexico and the U.S. on separate sides of the bracket, so they meet in the final. So, if you're in a group with the U.S. or Mexico, there's a and and you um, finish second to them, and then you advance to the semifinal, you will play them again in the semifinal. That's been the way it's been historically in the Gold Cup. I want to say there was another Gold Cup where the U.S. played Panama. Oh. U.S. played Honduras twice in a Gold Cup. I remember playing them in the group stage, um, finish, finishing ahead of them in the group, um, and then playing them in the semifinal again. I think that was 2009. So that's the way it's set up because uh, it's a um, it's a cash grab. The idea is to have U.S. play Mexico in the final. I, I, th- I thought you were going to say it's a racket because <laughs> essentially, I mean, why, why, why do, you mean Coca-Cola do away with all these games and uh, have the Gold Cup final be uh, Mexico against the United States? I mean, that, that's what they want, right? That's the way they've yeah. structured this draw to ensure that that happens. What it means for me as a viewer is that, um, I mean, basically wake me up when it's the semifinals. And even then, it could be a semifinal USA against Panama um, which I mean, Panama is a good team, definitely. But uh, essentially, what this tournament is to me is wake me up when it's the final, because otherwise, a lot of the, uh, these other games are relatively meaningless. And and a lot of the listeners too have picked up on this in terms of um, just the empty seats. I mean, cavernous stadiums. You got these huge stadiums with hardly any fans in them. And what they've done is they've structured it so that it's double headers. So sometimes you might have the Jamaica against Curacao game on on first. Uh, and there's hardly anyone in the stadium at all, uh, which is not a good viewing experience for the viewer. And I'm sure it's not a good experience for the players and, and the fans in the stadium. And then you have the, the second doubleheader, which would be I mean, El Salvador against Honduras, some, some game where there's going to be a large uh, attendance base. But, um, but for me, I mean, going into this tournament, I think I called it a joke. And, and unfortunately for me, uh, I mean, I don't see how this helps the United States men's national team in terms of playing level, in terms of uh, playing up against really tough opposition that, that's going to help them reach reach a higher level and get them to, to be uh, qualifying for the World Cups and, and, and playing some of the best teams in the world. This, to me, is goes opposite to those plans. Uh, no, this is their level. This is their World Cup. Uh, they didn't qualify for a World Cup. Uh, these are the countries they have to compete with to qualify for a World Cup. Now, of course, they're playing all the matches at home, which is why uh, it's de- it's deceiving when the U.S. Uh, wins the Gold Cup. And they won the Gold Cup actually last time uh, playing at home, playing with an A team when a lot of other countries were playing with B teams. But this is their level. I, I, people just need to accept that. I'm not interested because it's going on at the same time as the Women's World Cup. I mean, I, I, people have misinterpreted my uh, – my unwillingness to watch any Gold Cup, any Copa America, or any uh, Cup of African Nations as some sort of slight against the men's game. It's just, um, this is the fault of FIFA or the International Confederations for scheduling it at the same time. Would you watch another tournament going on uh, in the evening when the Men's World Cup was going on during the day? Probably not. So that's kind of my attitude, because I'm just consuming the Women's World Cup 24-7 during this period. Um, And unfortunately, there's no... Last time, 2015, the Gold Cup was after the Women's World Cup. Uh, the, the final actually was uh, three weeks later. So um, I was able to consume the tournament that time and probably would have this time. But no, I think this is the U.S.'s level. Um, and it's good to get some confidence against 
teams you're going to be qualifying against. Um, they're not uh, they're not going to be a force in 2022. We're looking at 2026 at the earliest when they can make, uh, I believe, a run to the knockout stages like they did in 2010 or, or 2014. I mean, they're a long way off. Now, one team taking advantage of the tournaments that are out there available to them is Japan. And Japan, once again, is in Copa America. Uh, they didn't make the, um, the the next stage, the quarterfinals of, of the tournament. They came close, actually. Uh, the game I watched, uh, I think it was against Ecuador in Copa America this week on Telemundo. And uh, they had like three or four chances in the last five minutes of this game to, to lock it up, to get the win, uh, to be able to move through to the next round. But uh, they missed a one-on-one goal opportunity. They had a, a shot over the bar. Sounds like the Japanese women. Because, yeah, it, 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 uh, it was Japanese almost identical. It's been, been brilliant in this tournament. And they're out in the round of 16. Obviously, they've been in the last two finals of the Women's World Cup. And it's funny. It's like after the Japanese women, sorry, I'm digressing here a little bit, but after they got eliminated um, from the tournament on Monday, it was like there was this funeral on uh, Fox. I listened to the Guardian podcast. Uh, Glenn Denning and, and Max Rushton and, and company were, oh my gosh, they were so good. Such good play other than the final third. Oh, they're the favorites next year in the Olympics. Um, yeah, and, and the Japanese men last year in the World Cup, same thing, right? As Copa yeah. this time. They were very, very good and they just they're missing a cutting edge in goal, but um, Japan shows you, at least in the men's game, in the women's game, obviously the U.S. is, is at, a, at the same level or beat them in the last Women's World Cup final, uh, lost to them in 2011. But in the men's game, you're seeing that's where the U.S. should be, where Japan is. Yeah, and also that's kind of the the tournaments that the U.S. should be competing in. I mean, playing against Ecuador, playing against Argentina, playing against these really difficult teams and playing up. I mean, just trying to reach that same level rather than playing down. Now, um, before we go on to the Women's World Cup, I mean, I, I did catch a little bit <coughs> of the uh, Africa Cup of Nations. I watched uh, Benin against uh, Ghana this week. And, um, I mean, uh, I think uh, Andre Ayew scored, uh, Jordan Ayew scored. Actually, a pretty uh, entertaining game. Actually ended up 2-2. Uh, Benin came back with uh, one, I, mean, I think it was a, a, a back flick that went in. But so far, uh, pretty entertaining on that one. One thing I noticed, too, is that actually YouTube has the uh, the goal highlights. So if you're not watching the tournament on uh, BN Sports, uh, you can always watch, catch the, uh, the actual highlights on YouTube through the, uh, I guess, the official um, African football uh, channel there. But uh, let's move on to VAR, though, Kartik. Well, 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 real quickly, sure. I want to mention that I've actually seen the highlights of, this, uh, of the CAF, of the Cup of African Nations, because... Um, or CAN, sorry, because of that YouTube uh, feature, which yeah. is something that I think maybe they're able to do because their television package in the United States uh, through BN is not uh, uh, all-encompassing the way um, a deal with Fox or ESPN would be uh, for, for these other tournaments. Uh, but it has allowed me, who's not watching anything but the Women's World Cup live, to actually um, see, kind of get a feel for what's going on in that tournament. And I saw all four goals in that game. The match you mentioned between Benin and Ghana, uh, whereas I'm not seeing, I, I've seen nothing but uh, U.S. clips on uh, on Reddit uh, for the Gold Cup, and I, you know, Copa America, I've seen an occasional thing here and there, a snippet here and there. Yeah, the, yeah, YouTube, whether whether it's uh, this tournament or other tournaments, to me, it's a good gateway drug in terms of getting you showing you some of the highlights, and then if you do want to watch um, the Africa Cup of Nations, I mean, all the games exclusively on BN Sports in the United States and other channels around the world, but but to me. It's 
it's, that's a good thing. Now, I slipped up a minute ago, Kartik. I said, uh, okay, let's, let's move on to talk about VAR. What I wanted to say is, let's move on to talk about the Women's World Cup. I mean, the VAR and Women's World Cup are so intertwined. I mean, it's it really, in, in some ways, disappointingly, it's overshadowed the Women's World Cup in some ways because it seems to be the main talking point. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for this in terms of... Um, the, the way that VAR is being used and also at the same time some of the, the, the rules changes that are actually hurting the Women's World Cup in terms of the, I mean, the goalkeepers for the penalty kicks and having to make sure that one of the, the, the feet are, is on the line when this ball is kicked, being really sticklers to, to the laws of, of the rules of the game. And having VAR have an influence over those decisions, which seems to be petty. We talked about that last week a little bit in more detail. But still, for you, Kartik, is, is VAR, I wouldn't say overshadowing the Women's World Cup, but is it impacting your viewership of the Women's World Cup? It's impacting everything, and this is this is part of it. So, um, as I said earlier in the show, I'm not watching the Gold Cup. I'm not watching Copa America. I'm not watching the Cup of African Nations because I'm consuming the Women's World Cup 24-7. In the morning, I'm waking up, thinking about the matches, sometimes doing shows, uh, watching the matches, then at night, consuming all the analysis and we'll get to that when we get to the tv uh when we get to the media analysis of the women's world cup in a minute so that just consumes the whole day and whatever else i have to do in my life i'm doing around it so there's no time for other football var is a huge part of that unfortunately var is part of the reason why what could be have been um in a um 18-hour activities becoming a 24-7 activity right because Inevitably, the conversations I'm having every night with friends, the conversations I'm having on um, shows I'm on, the um, discussions with other people in the soccer business is about VAR. And the um, fallback position of VAR proponents, Chris, is, well, they got the calls right, didn't they? Mm -hmm. But that I don't know if the ends justify the means. And here's another thing where I am now with VAR, with the constant use of VAR in the Women's World Cup. The punishment, and this is just like society in general, the punishment has to fit the crime. Okay, you know, a, a, a little, and I know you can you can fall back on the position. Oh, it's the letter of the law. It's the letter of the law. The letter of the law has never been interpreted at full speed with the naked eye, the way it's being interpreted in slow motion with two or three minutes to look at um, a replay. Yep. So um, uh, there, there are, I, I don't know if, if IFAB and FIFA, IFAB who's generally historically been a very conservative body and has kept this game pretty simple with the law. It's not like American sports where they're changing the rules all the time. Um, but now suddenly we have these these different rules interpretations and um, we're calling penalties for everything. We're, we're, we're stopping matches for VAR, which is um, th then uh, creating 10 minutes of stoppage time where Fox, um, the broadcaster, and, and Telemundo, they can't even get a post-match uh, post slots in because you know it's stoppage time and then they're off the air. Um, point being, Chris, that uh, it is affecting our viewing experience, and I don't know if IFAB and FIFA are trying to artificially inflate scoring and inflate controversy because um, – you know, any if the, if the ball touches anywhere, you know, in the shoulder area, a, anywhere now, and you you get two minutes to look at it, it's a it's it's a penalty. Um, and even and then if a player is 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 uh, turning away from goal and uh, it, it's not a goal clear goal scoring opportunity, it's on the edge of the area. There's a tiny bit of contact. We're looking at VAR, and guess what? It's a penalty. It's a foul. It's a penalty. Um, the punish punishments don't fit the crime. So if we're going to keep calling all of these fouls and use VAR. Maybe 
maybe we need indirect free kicks in the box more than penalties. And um, I, I don't, I am going to plainly tell you now, Chris, as much as I understand, I, I live and breathe this sport. Maybe I don't understand the handball rule as well as I thought I did. And I should, and I don't understand. I'm still trying to figure out for the life of me, how um, the laws of the game can say Sam Kerr, did not interfere with play when Brazil scored that own goal when she's, you know, clearly the defender is accounting for her, which is why she's playing a back pass that goes in the back of her net. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course that result affected the rest of the tournament. Brazil ends up playing France. If they, if they, if they get a draw there, they play whoever Italy played China, right. It changes the tournament complexion completely. I, I don't, I don't understand. Um, and th- that offside law has been explained to me that the same thing was the, um, the goal that was disallowed for France against Brazil, I got a rules explanation after the match. But um, just to, to, to finish up here, even real strong VAR proponents who were in the media, like Derek Ray and like Rob Stone, have begun to hedge because of these calls. And Derek Ray and Rob Stone, not only both, uh, both of them said it on the air uh, during that France-Brazil game, then Derek Ray who I respect immensely, and I know you do, Chris, took to Twitter and said, I've been a VAR proponent. I've seen VAR work in the Bundesliga, but uh, this is something else, what's going on in the Women's World Cup. And every match, there's some controversy coming out of it. This is not what we imagined VAR would be. I mean, so, so going back, even back, going back maybe three years ago, four years ago, uh, Sean Ingle from the Guardian Football Weekly podcast, when he was on that show you know, weekly, We'd be talking about VAR. We'd be talking about, okay, we need video uh, assistant uh, referees. We need a vid- video so that we can go back and see. And it, it's no big deal. It'll only take 30 seconds. We'll just check it real fast and everything will be fine and then we'll move on. Part of the issue, too, is the expectations. For me personally, with VAR in place, and actually I like VAR in terms of the idea of it. I don't like the implementation of it. But for me, going into a game... Uh, my expectation is raised where I'm expecting VAR to get the call correct. Uh, pretty close to maybe 99% of the time, maybe 100% of the time. I, that's my expectation. Maybe I should like, lower that expectation because at the end of the day, it's still subjective. You've got a referee on the pitch who sees it one way. You've got the uh, the VAR officials you mean, in, in, in the truck or in the studio looking at it. They may, they may see it differently. But still, still based on a subjective analysis of what happened. The other thing about it, too, is that um, oftentimes this past week, we've seen this in the Women's World Cup, is that the, the TV replay footage that's available to be used in the VAR incidents is lacking. So one perfect example, and a lot of listeners will disagree with me on this one, is did Rose Lavelle was their contact on, on that penalty incident. Yes, it was a soft penalty kick. I think a lot of people can agree with that. But I've watched that replay probably 20 times from different angles, the same angles that are available, and I still don't see contact. Yes, there may have been contact, but I, I have no video evidence to show me to, see, to, sh- to prove that there was contact on that, that she didn't dive, there was contact and she fell, which she may have done. Right. So, so here, so here's the thing about VAR, where they say, "Oh, well, you get the car call correct because it's not conclusive." What you just said, and that's true. And when I said like uh, minor fouls, I was thinking specifically of Rose Lavelle going down in the area. And look, uh, just in the interest of full disclosure, Chris and I are both Americans, and we root for the United States. We're not trying to say that, right. yeah, we're, okay? Because I know how this sometimes goes. If you, if you pick a, on a U.S. moment. 
but there was not clear and conclusive evidence to overturn it. So then, and because the referee made the call on the pitch. So basically, even though the VAR's proponents say VAR gets everything right and all the calls are correct, if there's something like that where the referee makes a snap judgment and there isn't a clear replay to overturn it. Now, of course, you you just said there isn't a clear replay to indicate that she was correct, too, and I agree with that. Then... um, You can't overturn it, which means does VAR necessarily get all the calls correct? Maybe not. That's open for interpretation also. Everything's open for interpretation. And that's the thing, going back to what you were saying before, Kartik, about uh, IFAB and FIFA and and the rules of the game. I really think that – I mean VAR is not going away. VAR – this is really a transitional phase that we're in right now. Uh, trying to look at these rules of the game, some of the changes and, and how VAR adapts to that and vice versa. But the game has to be amended to take into consideration the use of the technology. So offside calls, I mean, where they had that one call that was, you know, it looked level, but the shoulder was, was partly offside down to, the, down to the inches, down to the millimeters. Is, is that offside in, in that case? Or does there need to be something where, you mean, it, it doesn't have to go to, to VAR every single time when it's a close call? Can it be something where a linesman or assistant referee can raise his or her flag uh, if there's clear daylight between the two players and make, make it more kind of uh, simpler in some ways? Handballs. Going back to what you said before, Kartik, what is a handball these days? And and that, and that is so subjective too. Uh, we saw Japan really robbed. Really, I mean, that was really. I mean, there, there was. Uh, I don't know. To me, that was a natural place. Place. I, I don't know hand. how that's a handball, and uh, I just don't understand. Again, maybe Chris, I don't understand the law. The Japan Netherlands game, which, by the way, at that point, Japan was dominating. Um, Big time. Yeah, and um, I mean, this has been the case in every match in this tournament, right? Japan's had 70% possession or whatever, um, and uh, they haven't been able to take their chances. But still, it seems such a cruel way for the World Cup to end for them because it was in the 90th minute or 89th minute. And um, that, that I don't think, would have been called a handball five years ago. Um, we also saw in the group stage several times where there were players trying to tuck their uh, hands in, in what is actually an unnatural position, which as um, has been pointed out um, in the media, uh, affects their ability to defend. I mean, I heard this on the on the Guardian Football Weekly podcast, you know, one of their special Women's World Cup pods in the last few weeks where um, whoever it was, it wasn't Glenn Denning, it might have been Jonathan Wilson saying, you know, now that the, 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 these girls are doing this in the World Cup, it's affecting their ability to defend because they're so scared of being called for a handball. They're putting their hands in unnatural positions, which affects their body movements, yep. their natural defensive body movements. And he was spot on when he said that. Um, but we're seeing those get called. I mean, it's just... It's, it's ridiculous. And I go back to this. is Two things, Chris. Does FIFA and IFAB artificially want to prop up scoring? Or um, One and two, is it that they, um, they, they want to – there's some shock value to, to what they're doing with, uh, with um, VAR so that they can scale it back and get it right and make it a more uh, uh, restricted but useful tool in the future? So they've just you know, sprung it on the world in, in, in this uh, World Cup. I know um, – from listening to, to Julie Foudy and Kate McGrath on, on ESPN FC, they're 
really unhappy that th- that they've done this in the women's game without proper training for the players and 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 the coaches and the referees. Um, instead of gradually doing it in men's tournaments, uh, Julie Foudy said, "Why don't they did? Why didn't they spring it like this in the FIFA U17 or U20 men's tournaments? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just throwing it in in, in the women's World Cup, uh, where uh, uh, the the players and the coaches are from leagues that don't have VAR uh, and the referees referee in leagues that don't have VAR." Well, I think I, th- I think part of the issue though, Kartik, was that going back to what six months ago, nine months ago, where a lot of the U.S. soccer media press were freaking out because at that point FIFA had not made a decision whether VAR would be used in the Women's World Cup and a lot of the US soccer media were raising their hands in protest saying this is ridiculous the men's uh, World Cup would have um, VAR but so why why shouldn't or why can't the, the Women's World Cup have VAR now now we have it now we're regretting it some of us are regretting it a, a, a good comment here from happily eggs one of our listeners he says var is as is as subjective as any referee i would sooner do without the game is built on rhythm and flow stoppages break up the beauty of the game you end up with a game based on moments and and that, that's so true i mean this this women's world Spot cup has been so many moments it's it has changed our viewing experience because I mean even like watching the games with my family and my daughters we're watching it and a lot of the drama now is built around VAR it's not built around what's happening on the pitch a lot of it's like oh my gosh did you see what happened in the Cameroons Cameroon England game the Cameroon players look like they're going to leave the field and the, the protesting and I felt sorry for the Cameroon players too because they're at the mercy of VAR uh, they're not seeing what we are seeing on the on the TV replays. Uh, they think it's, I mean, it's a goal. They think it's a, a fair goal, um, and they're they're the ones that are really. I mean, they don't have video monitors in front of them where they can look at what we're seeing. They're freaking out, thinking that, uh, I mean, the whole world is against them. Um, right. Yes, to me, they overreacted uh, and took it t- took it too far. But those are the moments that I, I'm remembering from this Women's World Cup. Yes, there's been some great plays and some really beautiful performances and. Um, I mean, some great, great teams on display, but the moments are all about the Women's World Cup, all about VAR. On Cameroon, do they freak out in a similar fashion if those calls are made by their center referee and it's something that they're familiar with? Well, actually, the calls made by the center referee, it would have been like it would have been two one at that point or one one at that point. Right. Uh, After that, after that goal, uh, England. So we went to VAR on both of. Well, the first goal with Steph Houghton scored on the uh, indirect free kick was a you know, that's that's a rule that's been on the books for uh, for several years now, the back pass. But um, I think it's the lack of familiarity with VAR. It's going up to a room, and for these girls who've never played in a league with VAR, for coaches who've never coached in a league with VAR, for referees who've actually never worked in leagues with VAR, you've got um, all this subjectivity entering. Remember, the subjectivity was supposed to be taken out of it by VAR. That's what VAR proponents... And I have to say many of them uh, are people who are fans of American sports who are used to these stoppages. Um... The, the, the reality is it's gotten even more subjective in the eyes of a, of a lot of players. Um, and then another thing I would you know, point out is, or I would agree with you on, is the flow of these matches. So these Women's World Cup matches build up to a crescendo, right? Like any other football match, and it's a free-flowing match. And then there's a VAR delay. And inevitably, just like American sports where you have periods and you have timeouts and things like that, the, the, the complexion of the match seems to change 
change after the VAR delay um, because you've had – or it's it, it's almost akin to a water break, right, when, right. when we have um, uh, extreme temperatures. It, it's, it's breaking up the flow of the matches. The tournament has still been great. The tournament has still been dramatic, but the um, – the potential for just these um, these these dramatic matches has been maybe undercut. The Brazil France game being an exception, right? That yeah. I've I've talked to many uh, fans who are not necessarily women's football fans were like that was as good as any men's game we've seen in the last few years. That was unbelievable. But that game, of course, also had its VAR controversy. Uh, absolutely, yeah, and and the Japan Netherlands game too. You mentioned earlier that was a, an, another fantastic match. There, there has been some good games. Um, at the, the other thing I want to mention too, Karthik, about the Women's World Cup is that uh, maybe it's me, but it seems that the, the the female referees don't crack down as much as the men's do in terms of, of, of some really aggressive, over-the-top fouling. So whether they're missing that or they, they let the game flow more, um, definitely watching the men's game, especially Copa America as, as one example, there's more theatrics in terms of when a player's fouled and you've got you know, Suarez on the, on the floor rolling or just grabbing his ha- eye or whatever it may be. There's more theatrics with the women's game. Certainly, uh, the players get fouled aggressively. They pop back up and, yes, they're, they're complaining to the referee, but the game moves on. And what I've noticed, too, I mean, the Cameroon-England game is one example the other one was USA against Spain. 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 Yeah. Really some over-the-top fouling by both by Spain and, and Cameroon, which was either overlooked or you mean they didn't see it or whatever it was. But the game continued to flow, and the game as the game went, wore on, it got more aggressive and more tense, uh, which, which is not what you were used to seeing in the men's game. Um, but, but still... It, 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 yeah, it was, it was really kind of disappointing. And I, I, I don't want to condemn Spain too much because I understand they're, they're an underdog and it's like uh, Atletico against ba- uh, Barca in La Liga. It, it took on a similar complexion. Um, and I, I thought it was so ironic because the Spanish men in the men's game have faced this where they want to play football and then there are teams that bunker and not only play a low block against them but then get very physical and chippy um, and throw in elbows and stuff off the ball. That's what they did to the U.S. women. It's almost like they'd watched the Spanish men and how they'd been eliminated from recent tournaments and said, we're going to implement that same um, that same game plan because Spain had been a very technical side and a fun side to watch in the group stage. And then that match was overly physical. And again, here, I, I mean, I'm trying to be objective, but I am rooting for the U.S. And within 15 minutes, you know, it's 1-1 at that point after the mistake by, uh, by a listener, um, which allowed it to be leveled. I'm thinking, when is the referee going to crack down, you know, Rapino has been fouled cynically three or four times. Morgan's been fouled cynically three or four times. They kept getting away with it. So your point is well taken. England, Cameroon, same thing. Steph Houghton, as we record this, we're not sure if she's going to be able to go today. England's captain, Man City's captain, because of uh, that foul at the end when Cameroon was clearly frustrated and just, you know, mucking it up. Um, yeah, there's been a lack of enforcement, and it's allowed some of these matches, and we just singled out those two, but other matches in the group stage have gotten very physical. It's yeah. been um, – Italy-China. Italy-China was – yeah. Um, 
so I don't know if the referees are going to crack down. And if they don't, this is something to be aware of from the U.S. perspective because the U.S. – I don't think France is going to play that way. France is a very technical side. France might have the same problem if another team got physical with them. But uh, semifinal, final potentially for the U.S. or for France, if France wins, uh, you could be in for a knife fight rather than a football match. Um, <laughs> bad analogy maybe. But wow. uh, yeah, it, that was uh, – that Spain game was uh, – I, I don't want to sound like a whining American, so I'm trying to be uh, diplomatic about it and say the Spanish were overmatched, so they came up with a game plan, also having seen how their men get eliminated from major tournaments like this, uh, their men being kind of equivalent to the U.S., you know, preeminent in the in, in the sport. Uh, but boy, I, that was, uh, the once, once the Spanish women got away with it for about 20 or 25 minutes, um, that the whole game was like that. In terms of the te- television coverage for the Women's World Cup, I've continued to be pleasantly surprised. Well, actually, we're not, not really surprised because this really kind of carries on from the, the 2015 um, Women's World Cup in Canada, where they did a great job. I mean, there's there definitely some mistakes, but for the most part, it was really good coverage. Uh, and we've continued with that in 2019. It's been at a, I wouldn't say a high level, but it's been consistent. It's, it's you, you t- turn it on, you know what to expect. It, it is what it is. It's it's very much again. It's very much like a watching Wimbledon or watching the Olympics, where it's okay, just moving on through the stages of the tournament. Uh, yes, uh, Alexi Lalas playing the heel, kind of a, a wrestling term in terms of the way that the reason that why he's on the set is to be confrontational and to, to have some of these hot takes, which gets the rest of the studio analysis crew. I mean, riled up and, and disagreeing and just adding that as, which has been Alexi Lalas's uh, MO for years and years and years. But for the most part, I, I don't have uh, many complaints. I mean, to me, the star of Fox's w- Women's World Cup coverage has been Christina Uncle. I think she's been really, really oh, yeah. good. I mean, in terms of her versus Dr. Joe, there's no comparison. Christina's done a fantastic job of explaining what's going on in front of our eyes in, in, in such a huge VAR um, <laughs> right. tournament, really. I, I want to say she's down with the new rules, right? Whereas, um, and I think she's been fantastic, and I, I wrote that obviously a few weeks ago, um, maybe a little bit of bias because I've liked her as a referee. I kind of have come around to liking her husband as a referee also, even though uh, I used to complain about him when he did a lot of Fort Lauderdale Strikers games uh, back in the day before he graduated to MLS. But um, what I find really significant is Ali Wagner and uh, Danielle Slayton and the other Fox co-commentators are kind of where you and I are, right? They grew up with a game the certain way. And um, I think every VAR call, Allie Wagner's like, well, I, I don't quite get this, right? The same way you and I at home are like, we don't quite get this. But Christina Uncle is arguing it, or is, is, is making the point um, as to how IFAB and FIFA ha- have chosen to interpret these laws now and doing it in a very good way. Although, again, my sympathy, my heart is with the Allie Wagners of the world because I'm thinking, you know, Allie Wagner sees someone offside and she's like, well, as a defender, you account for that, right? You don't, you don't just pretend like that player doesn't exist but yeah she's been the star of the coverage and i also think um given how good she's been fox has used her more and more and well and all obviously we've had all this var so that's part of the reason but more and more and more than we remember dr joe being used in major tournaments um she's just media trained i i talked to a ref assessor actually about her at a local game here because again she's from florida i think most people know that that's how i've 
you know, encountered her and her husband a lot as a referee. And the ref assessor told me, don't forget she's a lawyer. She's very media trained. <laughs> so um, that's, uh, that's part of the reason she's so good, maybe. Yeah, definitely. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah. Um, so the, f- the first piece of news this week is um, that Bob Lee, and I think we all saw this on Twitter, and it, it kind of came as a shock because it just came out of the blue, will be retiring from ESPN at the end of this month, seeing various tributes to him, uh, including from Taylor Twalman, who's worked very, very closely with him on uh, the um, on, on the uh, uh, ESPN broadcast of soccer. And, uh, you know, a guy that's just uh, been a newsy sports reporter. So uh, you, there's been the culture of kind of jocks and jocks talking about sports and not having a wider world context or any sort of um, maybe social conscience around their, their reporting and their analysis. Uh, Bob Lee was the opposite. He was a newsman doing sports in so many ways. Yeah, and Bob Lee also uh, did commentating too of soccer games. I mean, I mean for a lot of uh, viewers in the United States, Bob Lee has been a central figure in terms of our experience of watching soccer uh, on ESPN over the, over the decades, and it's something that we're, going to, we're definitely going to miss him. He's going into retirement. Uh, we ran into him, Kartik. Uh, I don't know if you remember December 2013 for the uh, the draw for the World Cup uh, at Bristol, Connecticut, uh, at ESPN Studios, and. And I could tell from that day where he's extremely a hard worker, very prepared, does his homework, has all the information in front of him, and is focused 100% on giving the best broadcast possible. So, um, yeah, he's definitely going to be missed. Now, uh, moving on to uh, one more item in the news section, and that is the TV ratings. So the group stage of of the uh, Women's World Cup has concluded with national viewership on Fox Sports across Fox, FS1, FS2, up 6% of Canada 2015 and up 73% over Germany in 2011, while the Fox uh, TV ratings through the round of 16 are up 21% versus 2015. Now, a lot of those numbers will factor in not just the, the TV viewership, uh, but also the uh, out-of-home viewership, which would be people watching this in bars. Um, so collectively, they're combining all those numbers as well as, I'm sure, digital too. But across the board, numbers are up, which is great news. Through the 35 or 36 group stage matches that aired across Telemundo, Universo and Telemundo uh, Deportes, as well as the NBC Sports app for the Women's World Cup, um, the network scored an, a total average uh, audience delivery average of 194,000 viewers, which is a 50% increase uh, for the Spanish language network from the 2015 group stage average of 129,000 viewers, excluding the games involving Mexico. So uh, Telemundo's numbers are up. Um, if you take Mexico out of the equation, because Mexico's not playing in this uh, summer's tournament, and Fox's numbers are up too. So good news there. And of course, uh, the expectation is now that uh, USA against France on Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, should be a massive viewing number. It's on over the air Fox. And uh, this one actually is going to be on, uh, I think, Universo. Uh, on the Spanish language side, because at the same time, Kartik, there's a Copa America game on on Telemundo. So uh, scheduling wise, not not perfect, but still pretty impressive numbers overall. 
Yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Telemundo uh, handles the rest of the tournament. There are no uh, Hispanic or Latino countries um, uh, that are still uh, in the tournament. And I was told by a friend of mine that uh, uh, Contour and Seoul were, were very, um, not necessarily pro-Spain in the in the uh, Spain-USA match, but were more... Um, were more um, talking about Spain uh, than they did other U.S. opponents when they'd called U.S. games previously in the tournament. So I thought that was interesting. And that that is natural, right? I think Telemundo yeah. at that point is thinking Spain might be the country they have to embrace um, along. Uh, Brazil had just been eliminated uh, very, you know, in, in very, uh, um, I don't want to say tragic, but just in a great match the previous night. And uh, Argentina and Chile did not make the uh, the knockout stages. Yeah, and actually Spain played well in that game. I mean, there was Spain. I was really impressed by Spain's performance and uh, the style of play, especially in the first half. I thought they, they played really well and gave uh, the U.S. a good run for its money. Moving on to TV ratings specifically, again, we'll have all of these numbers at worldsoccertalk.com in more detail. But some of the numbers that just jump out, um, the USA-Sweden game, uh, which was last week. This was on Fox and Telemundo. 4.1 million viewers tuned in for that one. US against, USA against Spain this past Monday. Uh, we had 300, actually 3.84 million people watch this one on FS1 and Telemundo. So some strong numbers there with the FS1. Mexico against Canada, uh, which was in the uh, the Gold Cup. This was uh, 2.9 million on uh, Unimas. Actually, no, Univision and uh, Univision Deportes Network and uh, so on and so forth. So for the Gold Cup so far, the numbers are averaging approximately about uh, 200,000 viewers on Fox Sports. So the high was 895,000 viewers for USA against TNT. Uh, that was on Big Fox. And um, USA against Guyana was 744,000 viewers for that one. But then you have some of the other games like Costa Rica against Bermuda, 136,000 viewers. El Salvador against Jamaica, 146,000 viewers, and so forth. Was USA versus Guyana on Big Fox or on FS1? Actually, I think that was FS1. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a good number. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, FS1, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, decent decent numbers there, too. I think a lot of it, too, is, uh, I mean, the Panama game Wednesday night is not going to help, but there's a lot of just curiosity in terms of this U.S. men's national team. And and, and at the same time, too, I mean, using the, the, the Women's World Cup and the success of the U.S. women's national team so far in this tournament, uh, it's been an easy play for Fox to go ahead and say, okay, coming up tonight or coming up tomorrow, we've got the U.S. men's team in action, too. So I'm sure, ideally, I mean, I'm... Fox Sports is is praying, I'm sure, for this is to have the U.S. men's national team wins the world, the Gold Cup and and the women wins the the women's World Cup and have some record breaking TV numbers. So I'm sure that's the, that's that's what they're praying for. It could happen. Who knows? Listener mailbag. First up is Cheryl. She said, uh, "Would like to get a deep dive on the part about the point of the Gold Cup being played in these cavernous stadiums." Smaller nations may enjoy being in the competition, may have fans excited to attend, but terrible optics and atmosphere. So, yep, Cheryl, we talked about that in the first segment, and and we completely agree with you on this. And uh, it'd be nice to see some of these Gold Cup games played overseas, to be played in some of these um, smaller countries, or to have it, I mean, where there's much larger crowds, greater, greater atmosphere. At the same time, some of the ticket prices for these Gold Cup games are outrageous. So uh, lower the ticket prices and get more people in the stadiums, get better atmospheres, um, and that will help the TV product because at 
this point in time, again, I, I mean, to me, I, I'm just not paying that much attention to the Gold Cup because it's not a good experience. Next up is Gels, and Gels says, uh, Lisa Byington is a fine professional and a great overall person, but she is an average, at best, dull soccer lead commentator that doesn't know how to capture the right emotion in a match. Her call of Inchute's uh, 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 winning goal for Cameroon against New Zealand was a prime example of that. And that was something, too, I think I tuned into that one late in that game, and her commentary style at that point in the game, rather than focusing on that moment, which was a, you mean, a, a, an amazing ending to that game, I think it was like almost like the last, last kick of the game, yeah. uh, she was just all over the place, was not kind of a, you mean, I don't know, a Derek Ray or John Champion or, or I don't know, Ali Krieger or something like that, where they're just focusing on what this one moment means. It was just kind of just a lot of babble all, all over the place. Yeah, I, I think I watched that live. Actually, that call, and like you, there were two, there were simultaneous matches going on, and yeah. it, the other match was I think Netherlands uh, was it Netherlands Canada was going on at the same. Not, not, uh, yeah, maybe at the same time. So I flipped back and I saw the goal. Um, and I I was happy for Cameroon because it's nice to see an African country advance. But I have a soft spot for Tom Stermani, um, used to be the Orlando Pride coach, used to be the U.S. coach who's managing New Zealand. New Zealand once again, they haven't won a game in the World Cup in twenty years. Uh, and they qualify every time. Um, but she, I think the thing with Lisa Byington is that she is a, a primarily a basketball uh, and American sports announcer. She has tried to capture the way she thinks football is being called abroad. And she's very good. I mean, I, I because, again, we see people who come from American sports who do just a terrible job with this sport. Um, I want to cut her some slack here. She she lets the matches breathe. Uh, she has – and Kat Whitehill, just, you know, great co-commentator. But um, she has been able to, I think, capture at least the uh, essence of how a free-flowing match should be called. Now, those goal moments, she's still a little clunky, and that one in particular. I would agree with that, but I think it's a process with her, and um, I think she's done remarkably well for someone coming from American sports. Um, generally, we'd spend half the show complaining about someone who's a basketball announcer or a baseball announcer coming over and calling World Cup matches. But um, I've, in fact, thought that she's really done pretty well, given uh, her background. Next up is uh, Texian. And Texian says, I'm glad you addressed the streaming issue with the Women's World Cup. And uh, he says, or, uh, he or she, she says, uh, I have never been able to get in for the USA Women's World Cup games. It told me I didn't have a subscription, but I have, I have the top subscription and I've never had trouble before. It's been very frustrating. I may try watching it using my Tableau app, which ironically means I'm using a TV and antenna to stream the games. So, so part of the issue, too, is that... Um, and this happened, I think, a few months ago, or maybe a little bit, uh, maybe longer than that, that. And it wasn't really communicated at all, as far as I can tell. But Fox changed their streaming app. So it used to be that you could go to Fox Sports Go, I mean, for years and years, and watch <clears throat> all the soccer coverage. Well, a few months ago or, or longer, uh, they changed it to foxsports.com and the Fox Sports app and having the, the game streaming through there. So I've had a lot of complaints from listeners and, and readers that have said, I, I can't find the Women's World Cup games. I'm going on to Fox Sports Go. There's nothing listed there. Uh, and then they have to go ahead and download the Fox Sports app instead and go through that way. The challenge, one of the challenges, too, is that you go into the App Store, either through Apple or, or Google Play or wherever. You type in Fox Sports. Most of the times, 
Fox Sports Go is the first one that comes up. So you try that one. It doesn't work. So the Fox Sports app, you have to actually search for. Um, it's messy. And, and we've had other listeners, too, that said that they've had uh, streaming issues trying to watch the games. Again, me personally, I've been using Fubo for, I think, every single uh, game, both on the Copa America and on the Women's World Cup uh, to watch the games. And, and I've had no issues at all. Um, but again, that's that's a paid streaming service, um, which uh, I mean, not everyone can can, can well, anyone can get it, but not everyone can afford it. But that's what I've been doing. David Roberts says, uh, "I've been I'm try- I'm writing to make a general comment about the absolutely ter- terrible job broadcasters are doing for radio broadcasts. Lately, I've spent a lot of time in my car, and as a subscriber of SiriusXM, I'm able to simulcast Fox Sports's broadcast of the Women's World Cup." Talk about leaving, leaving listeners in the dark. I was listening to the play-by-play, and honestly, I had zero idea of what was going on. The picture wasn't painted for me. I had no idea who had the ball at the time, what a particular call was, or anything. I know that this is merely, merely the audio track of a TV broadcast, but seriously, do they know that their channel made a deal with satellite radio? Do they not know or do they not care that there's been a portion of their audience who wants to follow these matches but can't watch? That is a fantastic comment, David, and, and great feedback there. Oh, this, this is a mess because, I mean, again, <clears throat> in the past, when, when uh, the, the, well, the Women's World Cup or well, actually the Men's World Cup, I know for sure, but the, with the Men's World Cup, when ESPN had the rights, they would have a separate feed. They would have a radio, uh, ESPN radio crews. They, they would do the commentating of the games. Uh, and actually from previous uh, World Cups, I know JP Della Camera was one of them. Tommy Smith was one of them. They had a whole long list of uh, radio commentators that did, did that. And you could listen to ESPN radio for the radio broadcast of the game and then watch the, the television broadcast and have the TV commentators, which would be completely different. Fox... I think really to, to cut corners and save money, uh, and they did, they did this for the, the Men's World Cup too last year, is that they're using, they're just taking the TV feed, yes. the TV audio feed, and using that for the, for the, um, for the Series XM, which is horrible. I mean, if you're listening to a game or watching a game with JP Della Camera, his style is very much a radio style. So it it's, doesn't work as well for television, you mean, kind of, <laughs> but, but it works really well for radio. And, and when I say it doesn't work as, as well for television, some people don't like his style, some people do. But if you're listening to his broadcast on radio, it's fantastic. I mean, he paints, he paints the picture. Uh, many of these other uh, commentators, and, and the style of American commentators too, is that when a goal is scored, they, they go quiet. They let the crowd uh, do the speaking, and they lay out. So basically it could be for you know, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, complete silence. So if you're listening to the radio broadcast, you're probably wondering, what's going on? I, I'm, I'm hearing the crowds roaring. Is it a goal? Is it a save? Is it, I mean, so that does not work for, for radio at all. So, David, uh, I feel sorry for you. Probably the best thing you could probably do is, um, I don't know, get a VPN and try to listen to uh, radio broadcasts of these games from overseas because uh, otherwise you're going to be at a loss for a lot of these matches. John Average Geek says, you wonder how Fox can do a good job with the Women's World Cup in France and a poor job with the, with the Men's World Cup in Russia. The same can be said about NBC's coverage of the Premier League over the NHL. The Premier League is amazing. NHL is awful. Uh, Herb, or Herb says, uh, I would argue that the United States being in the Women's World Cup gives Fox an incentive to give more efforts into their coverage. And last but not least, uh, Mohi 
says, I have a question for you. Uh, why are there no Be In Sports uh, TV ratings that you make available on the website as well as on this uh, podcast? I need to see the ratings of the Copa Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana, Ligue 1, La Liga, and the African uh, Cup of Nations, as well as the, uh, the CAF, Champions League, and the Turkish Super League. I know there's a dispute between Bean Sports and cable companies, but why is there no Bean Sports USA ratings? That's a fantastic question. Uh, the answer is like a lot of those TV ratings were uh, taken from different sources. So, uh, for example, um, Colin Werner, who, who writes uh, for World Soccer Talk, uh, and I, we work kind of in conjunction, but a lot of it is reaching out to the broadcasters themselves. So to a, an ESPN or to a Telemundo or Univision or et cetera, et cetera, and uh, asking permission to, to get some of those numbers that we can share in, in the ratings that we do report. Being Sports in the past used to provide those numbers, um, and probably about a year ago, maybe two years ago, uh, they stopped doing so. Now, the reality is, is that numbers for a lot of those games that Mohi mentions are so low that um, they're not being reported by Nielsen um, uh, if it's less than 100,000 viewers. So with La Liga, sometimes, I mean, sometimes we'll get those ratings because they're, they're over 100,000, and maybe it's 200,000 or 250,000. Those we will report because those we can find those numbers. But otherwise, uh, we're in the dark, and the reality is, is that a lot of those games, a lot of those leagues have low... There's a reason that BN Sports is not giving out those numbers, they're not the best numbers to, to actually report. And sometimes they probably think that's probably best to, to not report it because it makes them look bad. Um, so that's the answer to that question. All right, guys. Well, thank you for all your comments and feedback. And uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, um, you want some advice, want to rant and rave about some of the things we've said, um, you can always hit us up on social media as well as through email, etc. So you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can get your uh, post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com, the website. And Kartik, where can they find you on the social media if they want to um, hit you up there? Yeah, KKFLA737, uh, and it's been almost exclusively Women's World talk, Cup talk during the uh, uh, Women's World Cup. Some transfer talk. I mean, I, I, I'll admit that's the, the only other aspect of football I'm following right now outside the Women's World Cup is transfers and, I guess, coaching news, Frank Lampard, right, uh, and Rafa Benitez. But, yeah, you can find me at KKFLA737. And what about uh, on SiriusXM with uh, the show with Nick Eber? Where can they uh, listen to that? Yeah, so SiriusXM, Channel 211, uh, Dan Patrick Sports, every night, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, at uh, uh, on that channel, on Sports Byline um, uh, USA, and also on our, uh, our American Forces Radio, Monday to Friday. We don't do the weekends. Uh, we've been heavy on Women's World Cup talk, um, a, a little bit of Copa America, a lot of transfer talk. It's it's basically been the uh, things I just outlined, Women's World Cup and transfers. We haven't really spent any time on the Gold Cup. Um, once we get past the Women's World Cup, I anticipate it will be mostly transfer stories through the rest of the summer. Yeah, and you can always get uh, – if you miss the recordings, the live recordings, uh, or the live shows, you can always listen to it on SoundCloud. And I think this week you guys have had some uh, discussions about uh, the USSF glass door uh, yes. controversy. 
uh, as well as NWSL and kind of the future of that league. So, um, so if you can't find, if you can't listen to it live, you can always search on SoundCloud and find those clips there. As well as uh, you can also find all the WorldSoccerTalk.com uh, po- podcast uh, episodes from last several years on SoundCloud too. And quick suggestion for our listeners, if they're still listening um, regarding FIFA Women's World Cup coverage, I cannot stress enough. I really recommend the ESPN FC nightly specials uh, hosted by Sebastian Salazar uh, with Kate McGrath and and Julie Foudy. Um, It's the best bumper show I've ever seen around a major tournament and that's uh, or listened to around a major tournament. And that's saying a lot, obviously. Uh, It's just been amazing. Uh, And I've... Salazar has told me privately part of it is the podcast format allows them to talk about whatever they need to talk about right wait, wait, there's wait, no wait. Take, this is this is the show's better than Fox Soccer tonight I haven't watched Fox Soccer tonight. <laughs> no, I mean, of course, when you're dealing with Salazar, McGrath, and Fowdy, you're dealing with high, high-level people that um, would have enhanced Fox's coverage. But, um, you know, the thing about these uh, bumper shows is do you learn anything from those bumper shows? And I have to say, yeah, generally maybe you learn one or two things or it makes you think about something that, yeah, I kind of knew that or, oh, that's a great way of looking at it. Every night I'm learning so much, particularly from Kate McGrath, about tactics and playing and, and uh, um, you know, the adversity, the psychology, um, some of the, 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 the politics around the game. And it's just it's just a fantastic listen. So if you're on if you have if you subscribe to ESPN FC's podcast stream on iTunes, um, and it's there every night. There you go. So not only do you get World Soccer Talk, the podcast, but you've got some advice in terms of uh, Nick Eber and Kartik's show on SiriusXM, as well as ESPN FC's uh, podcast and, and, and show, uh, as well as um, snarky remarks about Fox Soccer tonight. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, uh, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and uh, give us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, heading into another week, which weekend, which is going to be a, a massive one with these knockout stage uh, competitions and, and just games that everything's on the line, uh, even, the, even the Gold Cup, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.